listening to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. Hello. And returning to the Driven Radio Studios, Mr. Corey Pratt of Craving Cars. Hey. Hey, Good me. to have you back, pal. Good to be here. We are coming to you from the aforementioned Driven Radio Studios. Mr. Mark. Sir. The perpetual car search. Ah, <laughs> uh, the car search. Uh-huh. Uh, you know uh, what? I, uh, I, there was one up in uh, Nebraska that I talked to the guy about and got him to 6200 I want to go look at it. What were you talking about? But then suddenly what the were you looking at? price change, uh, a 65 uh, Chrysler Newport. Okay. That is just it. All the pictures look minty, like real minty. Okay. Not, not okay. Hid, hidden rust minty. And uh, I do want to go talk to a different car than this guy. That's had? what I'm wondering because that thing has wandered in price. He's like, it, it was at 79. And, you know, uh, during uh, COVID, it was still available. Wait at, a second. This COVID. thing's been around that long? Yeah. And that's kind of. I, I, now, I did There's go check the seller. Sketch. Wait, 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 well, wait, wait, I checked wait. the seller and I looked and there wasn't, you know, 48 different versions of this thing for sale across Facebook. I see that. For, as a matter of fact, I saw that today on a 55 Chevy that I uh, I, I clicked on the guy and reported him. But, um, oh, no, this, ha- have you been to Nebraska to look at cars before? No. No, okay. Arkansas. Remember the preacher? Yeah, I know he did Arkansas, <laughs> but I, some made me think that, he went to the Brad. Where else did you go? Maybe it was out in oh, Kansas. Oh, dear somewhere. God. Yeah, the Kansas, oh, Missouri. He's been all over Hell's uh, Half No, I, I got screwed when I went up to Wisconsin. Wisconsin. That was the biggest screwing. Ah. Now, the, the preacher was a pretty good screwing down in Arkansas, but I mean, I got my money's worth of screwing up in Wisconsin. That was that 55 Plymouth that I went to see they that he said no had no that rust, screwing. and that thing was eaten. <laughs> the thing holding it together was the flat black spray paint. Uh-huh. Oh, God, I was pissed on that one. Because I, bu- I brought a trailer, everything. I went up there with the money What, are you hand. paint it with that stop leak stuff? That- <laughs> it was POR 15, P-O-O-R. <laughs> but there I wow. was. The good thing, okay, the good thing this week, though, so I- I'll see about that guy. I'm, uh, um, Man, if it's been around since COVID, yeah. something's up. Something's Something well, he keeps moving the price around. Well, Suddenly, it's, it's sixty like nine hundred when it like was sixty seven. Super hot single chick that <laughs> nobody will date. There's a reason for it. It's because she's bad, man. <laughs> There's some crazy somewhere. Remember, when it comes to the, that kind of thing, hot, sane, single, you can have two out of three. Now, if you want to hear a good story, I did this In past Bradley. week. Uh, there's a thing called next door, right? Oh, and you God, look at it to where, next door. Yeah, where you can whine about your neighbors all the freaking time. Well, they do have a, you know, we sell stuff, et cetera. And there was a couple yeah. of things I was looking for. And I happened to stumble across a guy that had listed, hey, I just trying to get rid of some books and cassettes and CDs that I've had in my basement for a long time. And there was a whole list of stupid suburbanites giving stupid advice. And I finally clicked in and I'm like, hey, you know, I'll take. I, I could tell all. the guy was just wanting to get rid of stuff. I'll take all of it. Yeah, I said I'll take them en masse, and the ones that I don't keep, I'll I'll take to a charitable place. And he's like, done. I went over there, like it's between seven and eight hundred pristine CDs, uh, all from wow. the six uh, of music from the sixties, seventies, eighties, 
and uh, strongly of the 1990s to 2000s. I know I got more let... Soundgarden than I ever thought I would ever. I know want. you're going to let me burn oh, all of that stuff. Oh hell's yeah! That's what I've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> I you know I'm doing my day job and then we're getting to work from home this week, so I'm typing away. But in the meantime, my CD-ROM is just smoking. <laughs> it's uh so anyway. So that was all nice. the Soundgarden you ever wanted. Oh my God! There's Soundgarden, uh, uh, Temple of the Dog. Uh, oh, you just been wearing. You damn right I have. <laughs> and feeling it. But it's there wasn't gr- it's grungy at Mark's house. <laughs> the one thing I will be giving away though to a friend of mine uh are the 17 CDs of Bob Dylan. Oh, you can keep every one I, of those. 17 I couldn't do Bob it. Dylan I couldn't CDs. do it. Oh, wow. there, there's not <laughs> enough nasal <laughs> cavities in the world to <laughs> listen to that much Bob Dylan. But that's me. Okay, thank you. That was a Se- long time to tell you. CDs what's were the Bob Dylan and three of the songs aren't understandable. <laughs> yeah. Ah, good times. Good All times. right, Corey, what's been going on <laughs> uh, on Craving Cars? We got to see you at Mecham, Kansas City yeah. a few weeks back. Yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of uh, content coming out of there. What's going on on the channel, man? Uh, we've got so many cool things uh, Well, coming up next year. You know, because kind of like, you know, the automotive yeah, uh, season has kind of died down, at least in the Midwest which, area. Which means but, you're wrapped up doing Christmas crap and you haven't had time to edit. Well, I've just got a lot of past things to do yet. Uh, how, how, however, though, you know, we we do our normal. We, you know, we go to the bigger shows. Uh, hence why we went to Meekum mm-hmm. because we love that. We love Meekum. We love auction, uh, especially if some, you know, being the years of being at Driven Radio Show, we got to talk to the Meekum guys a lot. So that was really well. Cool. It, everybody that has has gotten to go to that on our ticket has owes a thank you to David Morton. Yeah, who always makes yes. that possible. Thank you, for David. Us. Big D. Thank, yep. Thank you, him. David, for uh, getting us in and letting us get away with murder. Our, DM, and, our dungeon master, and, <laughs> and organizing all of the interviews. Thank you so much, David. We really appreciate right it. On. Everybody, be sure to go check out Corey and all the cool stuff he's got going on over at Craving Cars on YouTube. Really easy to find and cravingcars.com. Cravingcarslive.com. Oh, there you go. Because Ooh. we have live podcasts that we have started up this year. Um uh, and uh, we got a lot more of that coming in, up next year as well. But uh, well, how fun! Uh, Where are you doing those out of? Just curiosity. Is it downtown uh, KC? You yes. can't tell. They've Majority, been breaking in. it's it's in a secret bunker. Nice. Uh, of course, we just, are in the Midwest. Just west, three blocks of Maine <laughs> off of Eighth Street. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that uh, secret it's one. It's in yeah. the uh, Power and Light District of downtown. Very nice. cool. So nice. Very cool. Real quick, before we get to our uh, our the gentleman we've got here to interview, we've got a guest in studio. Bob, slide up to the mic there and introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Bob Svian, and I've uh, lived in Kansas City for about 30 couple years and uh i like cars and that's how i got here and and that's that's how he wound up here my my wife said oh god my husband would love that and so far well (laughs) well, you know what screw uh, you buddy yeah yeah. (laughs) well you didn't say he was gonna be honest we're about to we're about to get to the car stuff so just Hang tight with us for a second. Our guests this week are Myron Vernus and Mark Brinker. They are the co-authors of A Quiet Greatness, Japan's Most Astonishing Automobiles. Myron is a lifelong automotive enthusiast and collector. At the age of five, his family moved from Greece to Akron, Ohio. What a move. Home of Goodyear Tire and Rubber. 
Growing up mm. in this hotbed of automotive activity fanned the flames of his passion for automobiles. Myron has still has his first collector car, a 1963 Porsche 356B, Ooh. which he bought in 1975. Since then, over 100 356s and a number of other fun cars have passed through his garage. Recently, his collecting endeavors have focused on cool Japanese cars and vintage American customs. Myron was the co-founder of the Glenmore Gathering Concours and is a frequent exhibitor at automotive events. Mark Brinker is an orthopedic surgeon, car collector, screenwriter, and an award-winning automotive author with a deep passion for post-sports sports and competition cars. His automotive areas of interest include European, American, and Japanese sports cars. Mark has been a vintage sports car racer and has set eight land speed records at Bonneville Salt Flats. I've done something similar, usually with the cops behind me. Uh, his cars have also won best that's in Bonita class awards. Yeah, that's no kidding. His cars have also won best in class awards at numerous concours, including multiple wins at Pebble Beach. Together, Mark and Myron have written an encyclopedic four-volume box boxed book set called A Quiet Greatness, Japan's Most Astonishing Automobiles. Gentlemen, if you are any kind of fan of Japanese cars, or I guess I should say, folks, everybody, if you're any kind of fan of Japanese cars, this box set is a must-have. Myron and Mark, welcome to Driven Radio. Hey, thanks, thanks for having us. us. When did each of you know you were car guys? Did it start really early? And what was the first car you recall recognizing or being aware of? Yeah, for me, it was pretty simple because... Uh, being in Greece as a young child, you know, there's not a real strong car culture. In fact, we, our family didn't even have a car when we lived there. But uh, the guy in the bakery on, under our apartment had a red Jeep. And my mom said I would always kind of try to sneak down there and try to go play around in his car. So a red Jeep uh, was, was really the first car that I have memory of and I recognized. And, uh, but ironically, I've never owned a Jeep. So <laughs> there you go. I don't remember what the first car I recognized was, but I remember the first moment I knew I had a serious problem. And that was uh, maybe I was six or seven. I would uh, run outside and get the New York Times on Sunday. And it had a great for sale car section. And I could barely read. And I remember spending hours just, you know, it, Used to be hundreds and hundreds of interesting cars, Ferraris, Maseratis, and I'd I'd read the ads. And a couple of times, I forced my dad to call, even though he had no interest, just so we could talk <laughs> to the people. Um, so that's when I knew that I had some sort of a pathologic problem related to cars. Uh, you're not alone. Uh, I I <laughs> seem to remember step. some of those too. The conversation usually started with, "Let me put my kid on the phone." <laughs> so did you have family members or friends who were early influences uh, as it pertains to being car fiends or is it something that you just found on your own you know for me no one in my family my dad hated cars he thought they were the, the worst of the necessary evils and my mother never never learned to drive so no one in my family we did have family friends and neighbors and you know like you mentioned in the introduction and Akron, when I was growing up, there were a lot of cars, a lot of car people. So there were a lot of hot rodders in the neighborhood. So they were kind of, you know, the uh, they were they were kind of my my motivation. 
Yeah, for me, I really, I really didn't have anybody. Uh, you know, in high school, you know, obviously, my friends were interested in cars. Some had Camaros, some had, you know, Corvettes. Um, but there was nobody that really had deep knowledge of cars uh, in my life. And you know, my my earliest influences um, visually were movies like uh, Johnny Dark was a very early movie with Tony Curtis with cool, cool, unusual cars, you know, racing around. Um, so I, I, my first visual impression of esoteric, unique cars came from the movies. You know, my first car wasn't one that I bought. Um, obviously, my dad wasn't going to buy me a car, but uh, I had an uncle in Still New it. York who was driving through town and he uh, he blew up his motor in a 69 Sport Fury in Ohio. So we had a tow to our house and that became my first car. Uh, you just mentioned Ooh. something Mopar related. Mark's going to need a moment. So is it, <laughs> did he blow up a 383 or? Uh, the- yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, here's the sad part of the story. It was a beautiful blue 69 Sport Fury oh. uh, coupe. And that was a 383 four barrel that he blew up. And my dad said, listen, you know, you've been getting grades, this and that. Tell you what, I'll, I'll pay to replace the motor. And he took it to his friend, the mechanic, and it came back with a 318 two barrel. So, oh. <laughs> Especially on a boat like that, man. That's Crap, wild. man. <laughs> you go to zero to 60 in some time. Yeah. <laughs> Today. Ish. Mark, how about you? What was your first car? Yeah, so... I- my first car was really a family car. It was just, it was a Buick station wagon, and then and then uh, a Buick Riviera. Uh, after that, with a with a moonroof, that was uh, that was in the uh, I guess mid to late seventies. Um, the first car I bought though with my own money, uh, kind of an interesting story, and that came when I was much older. Um, I went to college had student loans. Then I went to med school, had more student loans. Then I did a six year orthopedic surgery residency and had more loans. So, uh, by the time I was 32, I had six months left in my training. I was, a I was a doctor. Not only was I a general doctor, but I had almost six years of orthopedic surgery training. And I was making about $35,000 a year. Oh, crap. Oh. Um, and my my rent was almost half of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I ate a lot of spaghetti with butter sauce for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with about six months left to go in my residency, uh, I get a call. Uh, you know, there were no cell phones there. Somebody brings my apartment and I answer the phone. And he introduces himself as a banker uh, from Texas Commerce Bank in Houston. I had about two weeks before signed a contract. I was living in New Orleans um, and I signed a contract to go work at a trauma center in Houston, which is the biggest med center in the world. So he calls me and he introduces himself and he does the banking for the orthopedic department. How can he help me? You can pay off my loans for start. <laughs> Dear God, yes. So I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I'm a banker. I'd like to be your banker. You know, is there anything you need? I'm like, well, there's lots of stuff I need. I don't even have dishes or silverware. But, oh. you know, he said, well, would, would you and your wife, you know, like to buy an apartment or a house in Houston? I'm like, 
wife. I don't even have a girlfriend yet. What do you, what do you mean, uh, wife? Can't afford one of so, those either. Would you like to buy a right, wife? Right. <laughs> so, um, so we're talking, and he said, "Well, what do you want? You want a, you know, you want an apartment? You want a house? What What do you like?" I said, "Well, I like cars." He said, "Okay, well, can we can we can we get you a car?" I'm like, "I I don't have any money. I owe two hundred seventy five thousand dollars. I make thirty five thousand dollars." Wow. Yeah, I do my own tax return on like the easy form. He said, well, we can buy you a car. What do you want? I said, well, I, I can't make payments. He said, well, you can start when you, you know, when you start your job. And my job was going to pay quite a bit more than $35,000 a year once, once I was out. So he said, you know, what do you want? A- any car you want. I'm like, is this a joke? What do you mean? He said, no, what do you want? I said, well, one, one of the doctors that I recently worked with had a Acura NSX. Mm. He said, what's that, like a $65,000 car? I, I said, I said, yeah, it's too much, right? He said, no, no, you, you want two? We'll get you two. <laughs> so that was the first car I bought as a wow. totally broke, in debt, chief resident <laughs> of orthopedic surgery. I spent six months driving around New Orleans in a Acura NSX that the bank bought me. <laughs> very, very, very thoughtful of that. Very thoughtful. <laughs> not the worst of cars you could have for your wow, first one. Wow, right, man, that's not too bad from a from a Riviera. Yeah, it was it was a fantastic car, and what was what was really interesting to me was at the time. All the automotive journalists, all they talked about was what the car wasn't. You know, it had no soul. It didn't have enough horsepower. Oh. It was too. It was too easy to drive. Go back and read read the reviews. Yeah, I know. No, I know. I that. know. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It wasn't. It wasn't a three forty eight. It wasn't something that was going to eat you alive every time you took it in to have any service work done on it. Uh, by the way, NSX, my personal favorite. Japanese car, first gen, not the not the more recent one. Yeah, he's got the book opened up to the NSX yeah, right it's, now. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, you guys, in case you can't see it, it's sitting right it's there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm looking at it as we're talking. Uh, Myron, how did you become a Porsche 356 fan? If you've had a hundred of these things wow. or more, mm. man, that's a lot of 356s. You've probably seen everything that happens with them. Yeah, well, but keep in mind, this is back in the days when nobody wanted 356s. They were they were next to worthless. I'd say a quarter of those cars I paid three figures for, and <laughs> and, and and drove them. So, oh, um, you know, my first my first six Speedsters I I bought time, and sold for under five thousand dollars, and they were running driving cars. So, um, wow. you know, I, I was a fan of the of the E Type, and oh, I quickly yeah. learned that that an E Type was you know, not a car that a young poor person should own. And I said, well, what's, what's, a, what's a better alternative? And the 356 looked almost as cool and it was engineered very well. And there was a lot of interchangeability of parts with Volkswagens. So it was the thinking man's E-type at that point, at least what I thought. And uh, I had really good experience with my first one. Obviously I still own it 48 years later. 
And uh, that's kind of, that's how I got hooked in them. Yeah, I think everybody sitting here knows all the jokes about the English cars and, oh, yeah. you know, uh, why don't the Brits make TVs, can't figure out how to get them to leak oil, yeah. all that kind of stuff. <laughs> why, why do they drink warm beer? Yeah, because Cause, cause Lucas makes refrigerated. That's beer. right. That's absolutely right. So <laughs> it, I, I think the 356 was probably a really safe bet in the face of an E-Type. <laughs> yes. You've owned a ton of cars, uh, Myron, I know. Mark, I don't know. Is the Mike still calling you, offering to buy you more stuff? Uh, no, no. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't have as many cars as Myron, but I still think that I probably fit into some psychiatric journal. Um, I, I have... I have 35 cars currently. Well, if you do, you and I are going to skip in there holding hands. Uh, we, we suffer from the, the same stuff, as, as do most of the guys sitting around the table here. Uh, for each of you, do you have favorites, either current or past? And uh, for, what what's the car that got away? What's the one that got away or you wish you had back? You know, I, I really don't have favorites. I, I love cars, right? You know, I, I, there isn't, other than a Trabant, I'd say there isn't a car <laughs> I don't want or, 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 or I haven't had. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd say the one that got away from me, and when I've sold cars, I've sold them out of necessity for whatever reason. Don't regret any sale, not including, including those $5,000 Speedsters. Yeah. But um, I had a Carrera Speedster for many years, a 56 Carrera Speedster. And I'd mentioned earlier that my dad really, really hated cars. His, my dad passed away when I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And on his deathbed, he, he was a retired jeweler. And on his deathbed, he gave me two pieces of advice that I've always kind of stuck by. Um, this was right when quartz watches were coming. He said, never buy a watch you can't, never wear a watch you can't wind. And uh, the other one was never buy a car that you can't pay cash for. You know, I should have listened to everything he told me, you know, but those yeah. two things I've kind of stuck with. So um, about 15 years ago or so, our, our uh, oldest daughter started university. The other one was a year behind. I found a new warehouse I wanted to buy for my cars. And I kind of equated that warehouse with cars and my dad's words kind of rang in my head. So instead of getting the cheap and available money that was available, you know, around two, about 2006, 2007, I decided to sell my career speedster to, uh, to buy the building for cash. And, uh, you know, right now, 15 years later the building is probably worth 20% more than, than what I paid for. The career speedster is probably worth 20 times what I sold yeah, it for, but yeah. you know, and it was a fun car to drive. That's what I regret the most. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's well, very difficult yeah. to, re- to replicate that four cam uh, driving experience. How, how bad do you miss that speedster? For real? How, how bad yeah, do you yeah. truly miss that speedster? Yeah, yeah, I really miss it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <man. laughs> but no, you got I this think, lovely building, though. <laughs> I think there's probably a Bob Dylan song that would encapsulate your feelings. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, how, how can you, you tell? You were, I think it goes like <laughs> this. Brett, you know how it goes. Hey, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. How could you tell? <laughs> so, Mark, uh, how about you? Is there one that got away or one that you wish you'd hung on to? I mean, if space and money were limitless, I, I would have never sold any car. So I don't think that I actually regret, but there was there have been some, you know, really good highlights that I don't have anymore. Um, I found a car uh several years ago called beast three that was a streamliner that um art chrisman raced at bonneville yeah. in 50 in 52 and it was a real 
sort of basket case and I turned it, uh, I didn't turn it. The restorers turned it into really a piece of art. And I donated that to the NHRA museum. Oh, cool. Um, so, um, it was really great having that in the collection and having people, you know, walk through and just sort of fall over. It's a, you know, blow your mind, swoopy car. Um, but I'm, I, I would do it again, you know, so, um, I don't regret, I don't regret donating it, but, um, you know, it, I, I miss it. I guess that's the best way to say it. And then, um, the first car I won my class at Pebble Beach was a car called the Pontiac Bavant. It was a car that Herb Adams uh, drove, uh, built. And that's uh, a really, really dynamic, cool car. And uh, a friend of mine talked me out of it. And it's in a good home. And he's a really good collector. Um, so I don't regret, but uh, I certainly miss some of the cars that I've had. Probably that shagging wagon the most. (laughs) That thing had six inches of foam in the back and a rug thrown on top. And with those uh, six by nine Jensen's. Yeah, the the family truck. Isn't there something incongruous about an orthopedic surgeon also being a land speed record holder? (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) You seem like the guy that would be warning people not to go do this stuff. Yeah, so... So I have that talk quite often with, uh, with motorcycle riders. Mm. Hi. With, with, yeah. So with, with a motorcycle, your shin bones uh, function as the bumpers. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, so at Barneville, there's several things going in your favor. Number one, um, the safety rules are very strongly enforced. So the cars are built really stout. Number two, there's nobody else on the salt with you. Number three, there's nobody coming straight at you from the other direction. And there's very little driving under the influence out on the salt, right? There's no DWIs or DUIs. So it's actually pretty safe. It's not the speed that kills. It's the sudden stop. <laughs> it's deceleration trauma or salt poisoning. <laughs> actually, actually, Mark's uh, Bonneville attempt was kind of the, the reason we, we actually met in the first place. Really? That's correct. But really, tell us, the beans, tell yeah. us guys. Mark, you're up. Um, well, you tell the story so well, Myron. So no, um, it's your, your story. So um, I, I sort of went down a rabbit hole of cars uh, from Bill Devin. Is, is that a name that any of you know? Yes. Okay. So Bill Devin uh, is most famous for building 26 different sizes of fiberglass bodies. He had these modular molds. He was a really bright guy. And in the 50s, you could order a body and put it either on a Corvette or a Ford or a Lincoln or a Cadillac and build your own sports car with one of these swoopy bodies. And they 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 were Italian looking. Um, before he got into the body business, business he built uh, a car called a Devon Panard, yeah. which uh, a Panard is an air-cooled uh, two-cylinder French car. 
Um, they were street cars, but they also raced at Le Mans and, and did very well. They won their class. They won the index of performance. So first I bought a Devon SS, which was a, a small block Chevy, um, really beautiful, huge performance. You know, the car weighed like 2,200 pounds, big horsepower, lots of fun. But I, the more I learned about Bill Devon, I, you know, I, I sort of went down the rabbit hole and started looking for one of these Devon Panards and lo and behold, was able to buy one of those and was vintage racing it. And we got really good at developing the engine. And so I decided, you know, I, I started thinking about how can I really honor uh, these engines that had been forgotten. I did my research, learned about all their Le Mans victories, but everyone had forgotten. So the class I was racing in, uh, in vintage racing, the cars were 750 cc's and they were racing against two liter cars. So I wasn't going to be able to win. But at Bonneville, they have engine classes. So you're racing against like size engines. So I decided I'm going to go to Bonneville with a, with a Panard powered car. And the most aerodynamic example was a Deutsche Binet. And so I started asking around. Who has a Deutsche Binet HBR5 as the model? And Myron's name came up. And so I called Myron, and I'll let him tell the second half of the story. Uh, the, my half is really short. I get a call from a stranger. I hear you have one. He says, I hear you have one. I said, no, I've got two or three or however many I had at that point. And uh, I said that none are really for sale. I, I'd really kind of fallen in love. I came to Deutsche Binet's DBs through Porsches because – Here's a car that in its time was half the half the displacement of a 356, but was beating it in SCCA race, races around the country, especially on the East Coast. So through the engineering. And uh, but then Mark explained to me what he wanted to do with it. And uh, it was a crazy enough uh, idea that at that point I felt obligated to uh, to sell it. And at that point, uh, we, we kind of bonded. Very cool. What prompted the both of you to write the definitive work? on Japanese cars. Well, that was all Myron's fault, 100%. Yeah, it took me years to talk Mark into, into it. <laughs> Actually, it's the other way around. You know, Mark and I, we, we had this idea. You know, as as we've seen, we've seen, we've kind of, we came came Japanese cars kind of late in life. Um, for me, the draw to Japanese cars was a lot of the 356 guys that I had grown up with had turned into like, bitter old men who said young guys didn't care about cars and all they could talk about mm. was how much their cars were worth as opposed to, you know, tips and tricks as to how you keep your car running for next to nothing. And I was getting really sour on the hobby. And then I went to a Japanese uh, car meet, happened to be in LA at the Peterson museum. And I oh. saw all these guys and, and, and girls, you know, 30 years old or under, you know, at half my age, being totally crazy about these cars they paid 3000 bucks for that they're putting 30,000 bucks into to dress them doing all the work themselves kind of like the 356 hobby was when I was young and uh you know I, I really got into it Mark and I started talking about it and we started buying some cars exploring the history finding all the cool stuff and uh we realized that there was a real void in uh especially in the United States about the great Japanese cars uh, you know, we, we joke a little bit that, you know, the Japanese with their cars, like the French with their wine, they kept the, the, the really great stuff for themselves. Yeah. 
Yeah, but they're very mm-hmm. they're very strategic. You know, they 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 sent us cheap and reliable cars that at the time the American manufacturers either couldn't produce or chose not to produce. And uh, it doesn't mean they weren't making great stuff back at home. So we we recognized Mark primarily. We recognized not, we both recognized there was a story to be told, but Mark had to talk me into it because uh, you know I'm not a writer. Uh, Mark has written extensively, you know, in his past. So. It took a couple of years of talking. I think I think I finally made the decision once I retired that I'd have the time to commit to it. When did you begin working on the project, and what was the genesis of the idea? Which one of you approached the other and said, "Hey, listen, this is what we should do." Yeah, so I think I, I think it was a series of discussions. Um, I think uh, I don't know which one of us said it first, but I was definitely on board with the idea earlier than Myron. Um, uh, But I think the idea was developed, you know, from both of us. And the genesis of the idea was probably, you know, about eight years ago now, because we worked on the book for six years. Um, You know, um, I think when we started, Myron still was working. We maybe we have a little different recollection. I think he was working. Um, um, so we, it wasn't steady, you know, solid, this is what we're doing full time. Um, you know, uh, on surgery days, sometimes I have 20 or 30 minutes in between surgery. So I, you know, go up to the office and, you know, when they're ready, they call. And so I, you know, I get a little work done. I, I do a little research. I do a little hunting. Um, the, the organizational part, um, sort of evolved. I mean, Myron and I, when, when Myron finally said yes, we said, okay, what, you know, what's a typical book look like? Well, probably there's going to be a 300 to 350 page book. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's funny. <laughs> right. And, and it could have been, jokes. Yeah. it, it could have been a 350 page book. And we were going to um, be done in a, we were going to be done in a year. Uh, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, a year. Yeah. So we, you know, um, my my life is uh, run to some degree around Excel spreadsheets, right? So we started with Excel spreadsheets, and we just kept adding more and more and more cars and submodels, and um, it you know the project just grew and grew and grew, um, and sort of our basic concept was. We didn't have any criteria. It was what do we think is important, cool, interesting, innovative. And four books later? Yeah, no, four books yeah. later. The reason yeah. we all laughed out loud when you said 350 pages, for the people who have not seen the book yet, it's four books that are probably 300 pages each, each. with outstanding photography and history and there, there's so much detail in each one of them. And in addition to the four books, there's an appendix that's probably a solid hundred pages that goes with it. Uh, the first book I opened is the one that Bob is leafing through now. And I opened it, I just opened it right in the middle. And the first car that it, that was there was the first generation Acura NSX. And like I said, that's my favorite Japanese car of all time, bar none. And I leafed back a few pages from that and I found the Honda Prelude, something else that's a favorite. And then the Honda CRX. Well, I owned one of those. 
And it just, you know, I, I opened another book to the center, and there's another car I like, the AutoZam AZ1, which is a really cool little K car from uh, Japan. And just there's so much cool stuff in it. And in addition to that, this box set is heavy. <laughs> it's it is substantial. You could probably use it to dispatch small critters if you needed to. <laughs> when you started, you said 350 pages. At what point did you realize, oh geez, we really dug a deep hole here. This is not going to be anywhere near what we thought it was. You know, we never really had that moment that we said boy, this is getting out of control because again, we're, you know, we're passionate about the stuff. And as we kept discovering things that we thought were cool, we just felt, you know, things had, had to get in there. Um, you know, I think part of it uh, of coming to an end was uh, the time we'd put into it, but also, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we didn't design the book. Uh, we, we hired, we feel who was the best in the business, a gentleman named Richard Barron, who was art director for 25, 30 years at Road and Track at their peak. Now he does, uh, he does uh, the Porsche Panorama. Plus he's done the Luftkugelt books and uh, uh, things like that. So absolute genius in putting his together. Plus he's really, really passionate. And when we contracted him, we contracted him for a year <laughs> for basically a 300 page book. And, <laughs> you know, he stuck with us through this whole thing. And I think at some point we said, yeah, this thing just kind of has to come to an end. But at no point, I, Mark, tell me, we, we didn't have any real freak out as far as the size. No. So there was there was a discussion that we had that I remember Myron and I and Richard. of What do we want this book to look like? Because. The book could have been significantly smaller if we wanted to skimp on the artwork. You know, part of the impact of the book is that it's encyclopedic in knowledge. Yes, it is. And it's also um coffee table book in appearance. Like there's the book is 12 inches by 12 inches. So when you open it up, it's 12 inches tall by 24 inches wide. It's an album cover. Right. <laughs> and so... And so uh, there's beautiful, you know, full page spreads, you know, that cover both pages in some instances. And that's that's really impactful. And people want to see cars. So we had a conversation about this book's going to, you know, is going to get bigger and bigger. And Myron and I discussed it with Richard and we said, that's what we want. And the concept was really pretty simple. Um Ferraris are written about in high-end books. Yeah. Right? Aston Martin books look beautiful, you know, with attention to detail. Um, you know, books on station wagons, maybe not so much, right? <laughs> and we wanted, we wanted this, nothing against station wagons, but we wanted this to be an important-looking book with impactful information and imagery. And we, we didn't want to slight the Japanese topic. We, we think it's as important, you know, as a book on Ferraris and it has to look like that if people are going to take it seriously. So that was one of the guiding principles. We use hundred pound paper and every image is, you know, spot gloss varnished and the book folds flat. Yeah. You know, I have lots of books. You try and open it. 
and you get it about 45 degrees open and, and that's it. You got to sort of peek inside. You can't fold the book flat. So all of those things, you know, the best binding, the best paper, the best covers, the, the, the case that the books are in. Oh my goodness. You, know, you, could, you could almost stand on that. Yeah. yeah. That cardboard's so thick. Well, all three of us before the show uh, have spent an hour, well, Corey and I, more than an hour, going through the books, looking at everything, looking at the pictures. Nothing about this doesn't say first quality. Everything about them is very high-end, very well-produced, a, a fantastic end product. I was getting some other stuff done, and Corey was going through it, and I came back in the office. He was showing me all the stuff cool stuff that he'd found in there and asking me questions. I said, I don't know. That's news to me, man. Uh, so the, the books are exceptional and that is, that is indisputable. They're fantastically well done. Uh, can you d talk a little bit about the process of gathering all the information and the images and things you learned along the way and just uh, what was, the process of putting all of this together. You know, it, we are very fortunate that again, having Beth both been in the hobby uh, for quite a while, we had some pretty good connections, pretty good friends inside the company. So uh, we immediately got really good community um, cooperation from all the major manufacturers, uh, really starting with Nissan, our French rich Plavitich Rim, the, uh, their advanced design studio in Southern California. He kind of opened, he opened a lot of doors for us. So we had access to uh, the archives of every major manufacturer. Everyone was very happy to work with us. I, actually, we, we found information in there that they didn't even know they had uh, as that oh, process cool. went through. Um, and uh, again, there are just numerous, numerous sources. There are 2,200 images in the book. Uh came from manufacturers. So we purchased them from photographers. We had photography commissioned. We purchased them from magazines. So it was uh, every access, every bit of access. And, you know, in that index, you could see that we have uh, uh, rights to every one of those photos in the books. And we didn't snag anything off the internet to do that. And that was, uh, Mark, when we say like two, probably two years, just in, uh, in photo acquisition and uh, two years and approvals. Wow. Yeah. Another, and that's just another really, really long Excel spreadsheet. So, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> we had a wish list of photos and the wish list was probably, you know, I don't know, 3000 photos and knowing that we wouldn't use all of them, but knowing that we wouldn't get all of them as well. Right. Um, as far as the information goes, you know, that was a really difficult part because a lot of this information is not found in the U.S. language. Um, some of it we had to have translated. Um, you know, it's been written about many times that, uh, you know, the, the Hakusuka Skylines won, you know, more than 50 consecutive races. And Myron and I didn't want to just continue that sort of rumor. We wanted to know what the races were. So we spent months looking for those results and we found them and they were in Japanese. And so I hired a local person in Houston to translate it. So in the book, just as one small example, 
there's a list of all of those races that the Hakasukas, you know, the consecutive wins and which ones were in the two doors and which ones were in the four doors. And so that's sort of the approach we took. We we didn't want to just continue the rumors and the truisms that others had written about. So um, in some cases, we had to go to mark experts or even model experts. And, you know, um, some of the, I don't know if you've looked at many or any of the tables, but there's some detailed tables that go through um, what transmissions were available, what engines were available, like the Supra is an example, you know, almost a, a, a ridiculous number across the various generations of engines in different countries and different markets. And we wanted to document all that as much as we could. So, uh, you know, we would, we would find a, a super, a lunatic to, to help us. Um, There's a few know, of those around. You, you, didn't, you, you didn't, you know, you didn't find what supers went to Australia in road and track. So it was just this constant process of digging and digging and digging. Um, and, and, and that's why it took six years. Why did you choose to self-publish? And at, to that end, how have the sales been? Um, you know, we shopped the book to all the major high-end publishers, automotive publishers. And uh, when we got a response, the response was consistent beautiful book. It's absolutely amazing, but no one will ever spend money on a book about Japanese cars. And before uh, we printed. Yeah, this is before we printed. And uh, then some of the bulk publishers had expressed some interest, but uh, we didn't want to lose, but you know, we knew that they would cheapen the product. You know, we spent all this time with this vision sure, and uh, we didn't want to give up control of what, what our vision was for the, for the end project. So, Mark, what, what do you have to add to that? Yeah, so um, I published a, a book uh, previously um, on American road racing cars, and and the book was really well received. And I published it was with one of the, you know, major book houses. Um, but I was disappointed. The the photographs were small. The book is a nice looking book, but it wasn't special like the Japanese book is. Um, and the information in that book is really good, but you know, then there'd be, instead of a two page spread, there's a picture that's, you know, two inches by three inches and you have to squint to see the car. Um, so I was already, you know, sort of, um, negative on just doing all this work and then turning it over to someone. Um, but then through this process, first of all, nobody, you know, nobody said, okay, we're going to, we're going to publish a 1400 page book. And number two, you know, we did this in the right time of, of, uh, humanity, you know, 30 years ago, we couldn't have done this, uh, ourselves. Now, you know, we found a designer, we found a printer, um, uh, you know, we, it, we have an e-commerce site. So it, we really haven't found it, you know, that difficult to to go through all the steps. We have a great fulfillment warehouse. So, you know, Myron and I never touch any of the books at this point. 
We're not going to the post office. We're not licking stamps. Um, <laughs> and in answer to your question, the book's done very well. We we printed a thousand copies. We have less than a hundred copies left. Oh wow! Um, we took a big financial risk. You know, uh, you know, I won't, I won't go into how much we spent, but it was serious six-figure money to get to get the thousand books. Um, and um, we're 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 in the black. You know, we're we we have made our money back, and and there's even some profit. Um, that wasn't the goal. The goal was just to break even, but uh, the book will soon be sold out and we have no plans to reprint, reprint the book. That was the next question. Is there going to be a second run? I I don't, I don't think so because, uh, you know, I'd like to hear what Myron has to say, but I don't think so because (laughs) we've accomplished, we've accomplished what we want to, um, you know, the book is out there. Um, the book continues to sell well. It's been on the market. Um, since August of 2022. So it's, you know, a little over a year. Um, we're almost sold out and we won the historic motoring award book of the year. So we've, we've exceeded any of our goals. Um, and I would say that that award is, is well-deserved. For sure. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, Mark, we, we, you know, after that trip to London, we may not be in the black anymore. Very abbreviated second run to try and offset <laughs> trip expense. But, you know, like Mark said, we, we priced it. We wanted it to be accessible. And, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of is a lot of the people, I, I, I try to send notes to everyone that has purchased the book. It's the beauty of having having a private commerce site. And uh a lot of the people that we've sold books to are younger people, people who've never purchased books before. And uh, so we kind of accomplished our goal. We priced it to a point, like Mark said, that we're really not going to get any, any time, any money back for our six years worth of effort, but we wanted to get into people's hands uh, more than anything. Well, and, you know, a couple of people, a couple of people have asked us, aren't you worried that someone's going to come in and uh, kind of, do the next great thing on Japanese cars. I said, well, you know, that's kind of what we want. We want, you know, we want the Japanese cars to, to be, to get the respect that the Ferraris, Lamborghinis, the Corvettes, the Porsches, you know, have been getting for years. Sure. Uh, I, I don't see anyone coming in and producing a product better than this. And uh, I'm not being paid. I had to buy my own set uh, folks. <laughs> To get this, so I I put my own money into this, and it's which we it's, which we thank you very much. Well, well I appreciate it. Uh, the The set is just fantastic, it, it, and guess what, folks? You still got enough time to get one before Christmas, uh, gentlemen. What is the dumbest thing each of you has ever done in a car? Myron's had more ch- more time to brace for this. He knew this question was coming. <laughs> Mark, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? I'm going to let Myron go first. Mark's rub- you should see it. Mark's rubbing his chin. He's, 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 All right, I so, think we so, got so, some I'm, serious contenders here. I, I wonder if we're, uh, we're involved in that statute of limitations thing. No, you know, I'll, I'll be, you know, obviously I've had a lot of opportunities. I've done a whole lot of dumb things in cars. So I'll, I'll probably just, I'll, I'll do two really quick. There was a period of three years where I totaled the car on February 6th. So three years, consecutive years, I totaled the car on February 6th. So you got to start wondering thing, if you're cursed. 
Wow. <laughs> well, the dumb thing was getting into a car that third year on February 6th. But, <laughs> you know, no a, a no year. So, oh, it can't happen a third time. <laughs> <laughs> so not, not the dumbest thing, but here's a case of me being dumb in a car, which happened about a year ago. And if you're a Mopar guy, you'll know what a Dodge Rampage is. Mark. Yeah. I'm all ears. <laughs> yeah. So so I had a really good friend in Cleveland who was a Porsche dealer, but he loved all kinds of cars. And he passed away a couple of years ago and he had this massive collection of stuff. And his non-Porsches went up, were going up for sale. The factory was liquid. Uh, the family was liquidating. He had a Dodge Rampage with 26,000 original miles. The little front-wheel drive El yeah, Camino the, wannabe. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. That, All right. that 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 he had installed a direct connection supercharger, and, and, and he you know <laughs> he he had cast his own manifold to adopt a, a side draft Weber carburetor wow. to it. Good I Lord. lost it. I lost it after this car, and the family allowed me to purchase it outside of the group. So I had I loved that car. I had that car two point two liters of fury, baby. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Three three pounds of boost on that ninety four horsepower mode. <laughs> yeah, baby. Uh, so two I, first two weeks I had I put I put a hundred miles on it and I host a small cars and coffee on Friday mornings <laughs> with a friend. My friend brings coffee. I bring the donuts. I was driving it to cars and coffee. I hit a slippery patch on the road. Oh. Went into the grass. And long story short, I ended up in a ditch on my side in this car that I had been trying to buy forever. So I'm laying there. I'm in the car. There's bushes, trees all around me. And the only thing I could think to do was to call my friend and say, hey, you got to get the donuts. I'm about two miles away. (laughs) (laughs) Save the donuts. Save the donuts. So that's sorry, the dumbest thing I've ever done in a car, but it's definitely being dumb in a car. That definitely so, made it an L body <laughs> for reals. Right. Yeah. But you know what? Um, we, uh, the roof was crushed. The front was crushed. The doors caved in. Uh, but I wanted that car so badly. We had it towed back. Uh, we totaled it through the insurance company. I bought it back from Copart. And as of a month ago, it's back on the road. Holy yeah. crow. Yes. That's a awesome. deal. I hope well that Pioneer 8 track well is done. working too. All right, Mark. What do you got to top that, buddy? Yeah, so I've been racking my brain because, uh, you know, I guess maybe I don't live as an exciting a life as Myron. So I'm going to mix it up a little bit and I'm going to tell you the real dumbest thing that Myron's ever done in a car because <laughs> his answer is. Oh, he's incorrect. not even going to do one himself. He's oh, going to knock out Myron. <laughs> I'm switching it up. There will be blood. Wow. This is, this is a land speed record guy trying to talk about someone else's yeah. dumbest I know the next no, book is going to be about. And Mr. Land Speed hey. is going to knock off his yeah. buddy. Yeah. How to stab your friend in the back in a car. So I, was, so I was involved in this, but I wasn't as dumb as Myron. So we're in France at Retromobile. Man. Oh, and France. there is a there is a well-known Panard uh, parts dealer. And we went to his warehouse because Myron and I, you know, both had cars and we wanted to buy a bunch of stuff. And he offered to drive us back because we got there on the train and he, he he or the subway. He offered to drive us back. So in we get into his Panard station wagon, I think. Front wheel drive, obviously. And there's only two seats. And Myron says, I'll get in the back. So Myron gets in the back of this thing. And there's all kinds of parts. Maybe there was a gearbox back there or something. This is giant gearbox back there in a crate. I'm in the front seat next to him. No seat belts for me. 
And obviously Myron's lying in the back <laughs> and he takes off and he is driving this two cylinder car close to a hundred miles an hour, drifting, <laughs> drifting through the turns in this front wheel drive car. At two o'clock in the morning. At two o'clock in the morning. Because <laughs> why wouldn't so I would I would say that's maybe the dumbest thing I've ever done, but uh Myron was even dumber. He got in the back and well, he was holding on to transmission. Sliding around. <laughs> and he was he was drifting this thing and skidding this thing all over the place. That is fantastic. I love the thought of that. I love the thought of Myron in the back hanging on to a transmission with a bunch of parts sliding around around him. <laughs> it was uh, that sounds fantastic. We've been speaking with Myron T. Vernus and Mark Brinker, co-authors of A Quiet Greatness, Japan's Most Astonishing Automobiles. Gentlemen, please tell us where we can find you online and on social media and where we can find the books. Well, the book's website is uh, quietgreatness.com. Uh, that's where the books are available. Primarily, it's not going to find it on Amazon or any other online site. We do have it at... Um, Three locations, three bricks and mortar locations, uh, Auto Books, Aero Books in Burbank, Pastiners in Detroit, and the Lane Motor Museum in, in Nashville. So if you're near one of those places, I'd encourage you to you know, patronize your local automotive bookstore or museum. Otherwise, uh, the last hundred or so we have well, are, are just online. And I'm on Instagram, uh, Junkman356, and uh, – on Twitter or X, uh, just my name, I guess. Yeah, and everybody, if you have a chance, follow Myron on X. He does have just fantastic car content every day, and it's varied. Uh, there's lots of unique stuff, and he's he's got lots of new posts every day, so he's fun to follow. Mark, where can we find you, sir? Um, you can call my office and make an appointment if you have a broken bone. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I need, have bad shoulders. I need new knees. Uh, when are you available? <laughs> um, I I am not yet on social media. Uh, I I use email and I have a cell phone. You can find me that way. Um, the way to, the best way to buy the book is the website quietgreatness.com. and um, that that's it for me basically, gentlemen. We appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. Fun to have both of those guys on. I oh, think yeah. they, I think Mark started to warm a little bit more toward the end of it. <laughs> well, you know, he was a doctor, so he's like, what are these jackanets yeah, going to do to my reputation? Collection of jacklegs got me on their show. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't blame him. But wow, what uh, you folks, if you have any kind of fascination with Japanese cars, you really need to check this set out. A Quiet Greatness, Japan's Most Astonishing Automobiles. Like they said, they got about 100 uh, box sets left, and they're not inexpensive, but my goodness, they are fantastic. For the true collector, you know, the, the connoisseur of, of that vehicle, they're beautiful. I was watching Bob flip through them. I got to, when you first had them and, and I came in to do the show and you're like, dude, you got to look at these. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. And then you handed me one. I'm like, hey, I got a, my workout. It's a lot to take in. It but really I was watching is. Bob flip those pages and it's just beautiful. Uh, fantastic stuff in there. Uh, make sure you check them out at www.aquietgreatness.com. 
Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and on LinkedIn as Driven Radio Show Podcast. If you have a story you would like to tell or someone you would like us to interview, please contact me at Brett at DrivenRadioShow.com. I am Brett Hatfield for Mark L. Groves yep. and Corey Pratt. Yep. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Thank you.